are listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. If you aren't following us on social media, make sure to head to Facebook and Instagram and search for My Collective Church to learn more about what is going on at Collective as we start this new year. Thank you again for listening. Now let's get into Sunday's message. kick things off today, I'm going to bring John back up on stage. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is John Allen. John has been our worship director for the past three years. And in early December, we sat down and we started talking. And, and John shared with me that he and his wife, Miranda, have been praying a lot. And they just felt like God was telling them that their chapter at Collective was coming to a close. And so today is the last Sunday that John will be leading worship for us on staff. Um, John and Miranda took a huge leap of faith when moving here, uh, leaving behind family and friends and community and even churches that they've been a part of uh, to move up to Frederick, to get out of the South, uh, which was a good call, uh, and to get here to be a part uh, of this church. And we love John. We're so thankful for him and what he and Miranda have done to serve at this church over the past three years. I've told John that he and Miranda are always welcome back. This can always be their church home. I've even told John that if he's ever like passing through Frederick, let us know, because we'd love to have him back up on stage to lead us in worship again. Um, Now, John hates attention, uh, and this is his nightmare, Um, but before letting him get off stage, I just want us to let him know how much we appreciate him. So will you let John and Miranda know how much you love him, please? I see DD is getting on too over there. So, <laughs> all, right, all right, you don't have to stay up here. Like, this is, I had to convince him, like, hey, I want to do this for you. Um, I'm going to share one more thing as John steps off stage. Uh, when everything was shut down because of the pandemic and we had to do church online, it was John and his team uh, really who carried our church through so much of that season. Uh, He worked tirelessly all hours of the day, every single day of the week, so that we could have the best Sunday morning church experience possible for 52 weeks straight. And he did such an amazing job. Uh, When we hired John three years ago, we obviously didn't know what the three years would look like. Um, But as he gets ready to transition off staff, we've realized that it was one whole year of Portable Church at West Frederick, one whole year of Collective Online, and one whole year of church in this building. Uh, And the truth is we couldn't have gone through any of those seasons, any of those changes, any of those big growth moments without him and Miranda. And so while change is always difficult, uh, John and I have a ton of peace uh, about what his next step is and what that means for Collective. Um, We're really excited for their future and our future as well. And so while today is John's last Sunday leading worship with us, next Sunday is his last day on staff. And so make sure to grab him and just let him know how much you appreciate him. Um, I am making him stand in the lobby after service, which again, is his nightmare. Don't make him stand awkwardly. Like at least just high five him or something. Um, He's currently standing in the back of the room. You should give him a hug because he would really love that. Don't do that. Um, But but before they head south uh, back to Tennessee, they're going to be in Frederick for a little while. So if you see them in public, uh, make sure to grab a beer with them or uh, John prefers whiskey. Just like throw a whiskey at him uh, and let him know how much you love him. All right, while I'm in announcement mode, we've got one more. Um, Go ahead and grab that card that was on your seat that DJ just talked about. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, people gave God names in response to how he showed up in their lives. 
God also gave himself different names based on how he was interacting with his people. And so over the past five weeks, we've been digging into and exploring some of these names, and my hope is that at least one of them has connected with you. And so here's what we want you to do today. Uh, We want you to take this card. After church, there are tables set up at the pallet wall, and we want you to head out, and we want you to write down the name of God that connects with you the most, the, the name that resonates with what God has done in your life or what you're actually seeing God do in your life. And then what we want you to do is we want you to take that card home and put it in a place where you can be reminded of this daily. Now, it doesn't have to just be one of the names from this series. If there's another name of God that's resonated with you for a long time, or you'll even see on the front, there's a list of different names that you could write down. But our hope is that there's a name of God that you have heard that kind of builds a connection and really kind of moves you closer to intimacy with God uh, and, and, and your relationship with him. And for me, uh, I know that I'm going to write down the name that we're talking about today, which is Adonai Yahweh Kabatz Nadak. Now, we know what Adonai and Yahweh mean. We talked about this in week one of the series. Adonai and Yahweh are both names that mean Lord. But Yahweh implies a personal connection with God. Adonai is kind of like the generic term, kind of like this big picture term for God. But Yahweh is this personal relationship we have with God. And when they're translated back to back, it's not God, God. It's usually seen as the Lord God or our sovereign Lord. And Kabbat means one who brings back. And Nadak means the outsiders, and so Adonai, Yahweh, Kabbat, Nadak means the Lord God who brings back the outcasts. And this is the name of God found in the book of Isaiah. And we actually talked about Isaiah a few weeks ago when talking about the, the name Jehovah Naham. But the book of Isaiah was written to the Israelites who were in exile. Right? They were outcasts in a foreign land. They didn't have a place. They didn't have a home. And God says to them through Isaiah in Isaiah 56, For the sovereign Lord, who brings back the outcasts of Israel, says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. And so what God is saying is saying, I am your God who brings back the outcasts, but I'm also going to bring other people back to me as well. Adonai, Yahweh, Kabbat's Nadak. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you didn't fit in, like you didn't belong? So I've had a few of these situations in my life, but the most memorable one was just a few months before we started Collective. Uh, And for this story to make sense, I gotta gotta give you a little bit of a church planting 101. Um, So church planting is kind of a weird thing. Technically, anyone can plant a church. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have ministry experience, any sort of training. You don't have to do it in partnership with a church planting organization or a church planting network or even another church. Someone can just wake up one day and decide, think I'm going to start a church and then do it, which is weird. Um, That's why I always tell people, if you ever start going to a church, this one included, ask questions, right? right? Ask questions, figure out like, hey, what's the origin of this? Where did you come from? Who are you connected to? Ultimately, like, where did you come from? Now, if eventually it leads back to some dude sitting alone in his basement, you should be very careful because there's a very fine line between church and cult, and I'm just saying. (laughs) And there are a few main ways that churches get started, There's something called a parachute plant. This is what Ray and I did. Uh, We were dropped into a city, just us, and uh, we didn't know anybody here, and we had to kind of build this thing from the ground up. There's something called a hive plant, which is when a church intentionally sends, keyword sends, they will send a pastor and a team into a city with kind of like their core uh, momentum already assembled. 
And the third way is when a group of people or um, uh, sometimes a staff, they leave a church that they're a part of, typically out of frustrations or disagreements, and they start something new. Right? This is called a split, um, but this is actually one of the main ways churches get started. Now, research will say that this is not the healthiest way to start a church. Um, and I'm just being honest with you all. If you end up in a church where that is their origin story, um, ask more questions. Right? And honestly, like, maybe be patient to see, because they can become healthy, um, but it takes a lot of effort to do that. Uh, now, before you find me in the lobby, I just want you all to know I've never had a basement. I do sit in the dark sometimes. That's because I'm an introvert. Um, but I do have a degree in pastoral ministry. I've worked in three church plants before Collective. I went through a church planting cohort, uh, which was a master's level class on church planting. My wife and I went through a church planter's assessment, and we got the green light, meaning we're not crazy, crazy enough to plant a church, but not crazy enough to destroy it. Um, and Collective is part of a church planting organization called Waypoint and a, a network called Move Northeast. Um, in other words, you don't have to be worried uh, because we wanted to do it the right way with accountability and wisdom and support uh, and not just us deciding on our own, but really hearing this calling and feeling this burden and allowing other people to come alongside us. But before joining Waypoint, I actually signed a contract with a nationally known church planning organization that's planted over 500 churches in the past few years. It's an organization that our sending church worked with. It's an organization that my friends had planted with. It's an organization that our church planning network supported. But after working with them for a few months, I realized that we didn't have the same passion for this area, for the D.C. area. Uh, being born and raised in Northern Virginia, I want and always want more churches to be planted here but they were focusing on the Midwest. And that created some tension for me. And so one thing led to another, and I told them that I wanted to just take a few weeks to pray and see clarity from God about our future partnership. But that offended some people. Unbeknownst to me, this actually created this like church planting crap storm, uh, more severe term than that. Uh, but my phone started ringing off the hook, started getting phone calls from other churches and, and the leadership team and pastors saying, hey, like, you, you need to stay with this organization. But here's the thing. I knew, I knew God was telling us that they weren't the right fit for us. We didn't have the same desires. We didn't have the same passions. We didn't have the same vision. And so even with the pressure that was being put on me, I told them that we were going to stop our partnership and I was going to find another organization that just better fit who I am and better fit this area and better fit collective. And so I knew this was a big deal, um, but it was the right decision. So I assumed that everyone would understand a few months later, I was in Baltimore for one of our network meetings. There's about 50-ish churches there that are trying to plant more in the Northeast. And have you ever walked into a room and it felt like everyone was talking about you? Like, that was the vibe. I walked in and I was clearly the black sheep. Uh, everyone ignored you. When I sat down for lunch, no one sat with me. Uh, during the meeting, the pastor led this conversation about how when we make big decisions, it impacts other people. It's very passive-aggressive. I'm not good at passive-aggressive. I'm pretty sure it was passive-aggressive. I also think it might have been about me. I don't know. It was passive-aggressive. All because I did this thing where I broke this unwritten rule of church planting. I made this decision that other people didn't like. I told the big organization that everybody loved, I thought it was best if we just remained friends. And that made me an outcast, and it was not subtle at all. And so have you ever felt like that before? Like you didn't fit in, like you were an outsider, ultimately uh, like you were alone in a crowded room. Maybe it's because of your struggles with mental health, or maybe it's because everyone else around you is getting married and you're still single. Maybe it's because you have faith in Jesus and your friends and family 
don't understand. Maybe it's because of a financial situation or your hobbies or because you have the sin in your life that you just can't seem to walk away from. My guess is that at some point in your life, everyone in this room has felt like an outcast. I think this is the reason why the movie Encanto is so popular, right? Uh, yes, the songs are bangers all day long. Lin-Manuel Miranda is a genius, and Bruno, we're not going to talk about Bruno, but we love this movie because we can relate, right? We relate to Mirabelle and how she feels like an outsider in her own home, her own family, her own community, like she doesn't fit in. I mean, how many of you have watched the movie and thought, that's me? Right? I know for me, Mirabelle is a teenage Colombian girl, and the whole time I'm watching this movie, which is about 60 times already, I'm watching going, I totally understand how that feels, because we feel like we don't belong, like we don't have anything to offer, like we're surrounded by exceptional people, and we are just us. We feel like outcasts. I mean, all we want to be is spectacular and seen and loved, but our family or our boss or society just skips right over but today is a reminder that God doesn't, right? God sees us. He loves us because God is for the outcasts. Throughout Jesus's ministry, he was confronted about the people he hung out with. Religious leaders would always ask him, why do you eat with such scum? Or they'd say, why do you spend time with sinful people? There's actually a paraphrase of the Bible called the message, and it says, uh, why are you getting cozy with misfits? Ultimately, people, religious people, typically are asking him, why do you spend time with people in the margins? Right? Why do you care so much about those people? And Jesus' response in Matthew 9 was, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Translation, I love these people. These are my people. I came for these people. I am the God who brings back the outcasts. I mean, this is why we started Collective. This is why we're called a church for the rest of us. We want people to know if they've never been to church or if they walked away from church or they're just struggling to find a church where they connect, they can belong here. And the reason why that's true is because that is who God is for. God is for the rest of us. He's for the lost and the broken, the doubters, the skeptics, the misfits. He is for the outcasts. A few years ago, I was talking to one of our leaders at Collective, and she shared with me a story about talking to one of her coworkers about Collective, uh, and her coworker responded by calling us the Shady Church. Um, and trust me, that's not the worst thing someone has said about Collective before, um, but here's the thing. I love it. I, I truly do, uh, because it feels a lot like something that the religious leaders would have said to Jesus. Right? Why do you hang out with, why do you do church with such shady people? And so if being the Shady Church means that we have a small group that meets in a bar, like, I'm okay with being that church. If being the Shady Church means that we take a Sunday morning off in the summer and we don't meet here, but we go to a grocery store to buy it out to feed hungry people, I'm okay with being that church. If being the Shady Church means that we have addicts here that are honest about their addiction and they're in recovery, that there are people here who are being real about their brokenness and what God is doing in their lives, that there are people here who are genuinely trying their best when it comes to faith, but still falling short, if it means that we teach grace and truth, if it means that we challenge people every single Sunday to grow in their faith and not just show up and be spectators, I'm okay with being that church. Jesus, I want to be that church because Jesus was all about that. And I don't know if you know this, um, but this church is full of outcasts. You probably look around and tell you're one of them, uh, just being honest. Um, but let me tell you some of the people that you're sitting next to, uh, and I would say these, these are my friends, right? These are the people that I love. And these seats are people who are addicted to porn, alcohol, drugs, and their own ego. 
moms whose God is their children and dads whose God is their job. We have people who starve themselves and people whose go-to sin is overindulgence. We have people who spend more time in a day looking at pictures of strangers on social media than they do in a month sitting across from their own friends. We have people who are dealing with marriage problems and family dysfunction. Some they caused and some they didn't. And there are people here who have intellectual doubts about God. And the truth is, I love being part of this church. I love this church because this is a place where I fit in. Because I know that on Sunday mornings, I'm not the only one here who feels like their life is an emotional roller coaster. I'm not the only one here that when things are going well, they just get set off by the smallest things. I'm not the only one here who struggles with anger, who feels like a failure as a parent, who keeps people at a distance because of things I've experienced in my past, whose life is controlled by this scared and lonely child inside of him. And here's what's true. And I'll just speak for the outcasts in this room. What we need is Jesus. And Jesus came for the outcasts. He came for people like us. But he didn't just come for people like us. He pursues us. Right? God pursues outcasts. He pursues people like us. One of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told was a parable about the lost sheep. We actually just sang about it a little bit earlier. In Luke 15, verse 1, it says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them, right? Again, that why are you spending time with those shady people? And that bothered the religious leaders. But the story continues. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? And here's what's really important about this. It doesn't say why the sheep is gone, right? It doesn't matter if the sheep wandered away intentionally or unintentionally. It doesn't matter if the sheep was a part of the group and then disappeared or never really came close to the 100. It doesn't matter why the sheep is gone. The question that Jesus asks is, hey, if I have 100... And what is missing? If a shepherd has 100, what does he do? He continues, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And so Jesus says, won't he leave the 99? He's talking about himself. And he says, and this is really important, he says, then he finds it and he joyfully, emphasis on joyfully, carries it home on his shoulders. And so listen, this is really important because I think oftentimes we have a distorted view of God. God pursues us. God doesn't chase us down with vengeance because he's trying to punish us. Right? He's not running after us because he's mad at us. This isn't like a parent who chases down their child when they misbehave. This past week, uh, my three-year-old Harper snatched something out of her sister's hands, and it just sent them both spiraling. It was a long day. There was a lot of crying, a lot of screaming. And so I asked Harper to give the toy back, and she just straight up ignored me. She has a ton of attitude. Uh, to be honest, she's just like her mother. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> If you know Harper, uh, she's me. I'm raising myself. It is very difficult. Um, and so what I did was I asked her again, Harper, like, will you give that back to Elise? And guess what? She ignored me again. 
And so I got up to go over to her to have a conversation, and she booked it. And for a three-year-old who wears Crocs all the time, she's surprisingly fast. And so I caught up to her. I picked her up. I threw her over my shoulder, and she's kicking, and she's fighting the whole way back. I brought her to her sister, and I made her apologize. And then I put her in timeout because she yelled at me, she ignored me, and she ran away from me. But that's not what God's pursuit of us is like. Right? He's not gritting his teeth. There, there is no anger. He's not apparent at the end of his rope. It's not that he chases us down or pursues us so that he can punish us. It's not so that he can put us in a timeout. But the thing is, some of us act like that's the case. Right? And I'm not going to lie, like, this bothers me so much because we'll talk about baptism or we'll talk about next steps or we'll talk about growing in our faith, reading our Bible more, kind of investing in our relationship with Jesus. And there are people who will say, I want to do those things, but I'm just not good enough yet. Or they'll say, I have too much stuff in my past and I don't think God will forgive it. Or they'll say, I have too many doubts. And what they do is they put themselves in some sort of spiritual time out that they think where if they wait a certain amount of time, eventually they can leave that and have a deeper relationship with Christ. But that's not how God's pursuit of us works. Jesus is the shepherd. In fact, he is the good shepherd. And this is what Jesus says about a good shepherd in John 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A little further, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. He seeks us out because he wants to protect us. He wants us to be safe, safe from predators and safe from danger, ultimately safe from sin that pulls us away from the heart of God. Like his heart aches when we're away from him. Why else would he leave the 99 and not be satisfied with the ones that he has saying, I need to go find that extra one. And he does that because he loves you and he wants you to be near to him. He wants to bring you back to him. No matter how far away you've drifted, whether you did it on purpose or it was an accident or you sprinted as far away as you could, he is the Lord God who brings back the outcast. That is who God is. In July of 2021, I read a story that came out of China about a son who had been found after being missing for 24 years, 24 years. At just two years old, Gio was grabbed by a woman and her boyfriend. They were brought, he was brought to another province and sold to a family that wanted a son. This was in 1997. And for the next 24 years, his dad kept searching for him. He traveled over 310,000 miles through 30 of China's 34 provinces, chasing down different tips and rumors and different stories that he heard. He wore out 10 motorcycles he spent his life savings. He slept under bridges. He uh, got run into multiple times, broke multiple bones. He was robbed on multiple occasions. He was almost swept off a cliff when a storm came through, but he never gave up. And after 24 years, he found his son. And the story that broke on the internet, that viral moment was the moment that they embraced. This is what an ordinary father did for his son. Imagine what our heavenly father would do just to bring you back to him to embrace you, to let you know that he's never stopped searching for you, he's never stopped pursuing you, that he never gave up seeking you out. And so God doesn't just bring back the outcasts, he seeks them out. He seeks us out. He is seeking you out. Author Philip Yancey once said, God's arms are always extended, but we are the ones who turn away. 
And so it truly doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. God is trying to bring you back to him. It's on us to stop running. And I know that some of you think that you don't fit in. Don't fit in when it comes to a relationship with God. Don't fit in in church. Maybe you just feel like you don't fit in at all because of the struggles that you have, because you struggle with mental health, or because you have this sexual sin in your life that you keep dealing with, or you have a marriage that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, or there's physical or emotional or or mental suffering, or there's this insecurity that you hide that no one knows about. But the good news is we follow a God who brings back the outcasts. And the community that he built is called the church, and he built it for you. He built it for us. This is where we belong. And when we come here, we worship that God. We worship Adonai, Yahweh, Kabatz, Nadak. You are not too far gone. You are not too dysfunctional. You are not too overlooked, too rejected, or too alone. You're not too lazy or too broken or too anything. He says, I will bring you home. I will give you the church right now, and I will give you heaven In the future, I will teach you a better way to do life, a life where you experience joy and peace and grace and hope. God came for us. He came for the outcasts. He did it through a group of outcasts, and he did it for the outcasts, which means if you feel alone, Jesus came for you. If you're skeptical, Jesus came for you. If you think this whole thing is garbage, Jesus still came for you. If you were in the worst pit of pain in your life, Jesus came for you. If life feels great, but it's actually falling apart, Jesus came for you. If you're mad at the world and the hand that it dealt, Jesus came for you. If you're just numb from the pain, Jesus came for you. If you want rest, Jesus came for you because he is the Lord God who brings back the outcasts. He is our Lord. He is our leader. He is our Father who chooses us and loves us. God is our comforter and our healer. He is our provider and protector. He brings peace and hope and joy. He gives us redemption and new life and endless second chances. And from cover to cover of the Bible, this is who we see, who he was, right? This is who God is, and this is who God will always, always be. Let's pray. God, um, I think the thing that we struggle with the most is the reason why you would pursue us. God, I think we have this this comfort or or really we just kind of live in this space where we understand that we're outcasts in some way. Um, God, we kind of live in this space. We've kind of gotten comfortable with the fact that we feel like we don't belong uh, in certain rooms, in certain spaces. Um, God, we feel like misfits. But God, the thing that makes us more uncomfortable is why you would want to pursue us. God, in our brokenness and in our sin and in our unfaithfulness, why do you continue to try to find us? Because, God, for a long time, a lot of us have been running, or a lot of us have been kind of giving you the stiff arm and pushing you away, or a lot of us are kind of jumping in and out of a relationship with you, but you don't give up. So, God, I, I just pray for everybody in this room who, who feels too lost too broken. They, they feel like scum. They're, they're, they're sinful people. They're the misfits that the religious leaders talk about. God, I, I, pray, that, I pray that we recognize that, that we are the people you came for. God, we're the people who need you. And God, we're the people that you pursue. So God, this week, um, help us feel that deep down in our souls. 
God, and if we feel like outcasts in our, in our family or our marriage or our career, God, help us understand that we always have a place with you. God, that we're never an outsider when it comes to the church or a relationship with you, or at least the churches you built it. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Um, God, people have given up on us, and a lot of times we just have given up on ourselves as well, but you don't. And God, that's what we need. God, we thank you for who you are, that you are our God, that you love us, that you comfort us, that you bring us peace. Um, God, that we can have an intimate relationship with you, that you're not just overarching being that kind of exists, but God, you are our God, and you bring us back to you. God, we thank you and love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.